listening to The Extraordinary Catholic, co-sponsored by the Catholic Education Foundation and the Station of the Cross. Today, we are deeply privileged to welcome to the program an extraordinary Catholic, Most Reverend Timothy P. Borio, Archbishop of the United States Military Services Diocese. Born in 1951 in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, the Archbishop earned a Bachelor of Arts in Classics at Boston College and an STB in Theology and a Doctorate in Canon Law from the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He was ordained to the priesthood in 1977 and served as an associate pastor in South Euclid and lectured in Theology at Notre Dame College. In the 1980s, the Archbishop served in impressive capacities in the Ivory Coast and Paraguay, and in the 1990s as Chief of Cabinet for the Secretary of State to Pope John Paul II. In 2001, he was named Apostolic Nuncio to the Dominican Republic and Apostolic Delegate to Puerto Rico, and was ordained as an Archbishop by Pope John Paul II. In 2007, Archbishop Borio was named the fourth Archbishop of the Military Services Diocese and installed in January of 2008. The Archbishop is fluent in four languages and has many honors, such as Commander of the Order of the Polar Star of Sweden, Commander of the Italian Republic, Knight Commander of the Holy Sepulchre, and Grand Officer of the Order of Bernardo O'Higgins of Chile, to name but a few. Welcome, Your Excellency Archbishop Borio. It is a true honor that you join us on this program. We are privileged to have you with us today. Archbishop, um, I think I would like to start our discussion uh, with what I think uh, would be helpful to our listeners, and that what exactly is the, is it the Archdiocese of the Military? You're at the Archdiocese for the Military Services, yes. Okay. What is it's the organization um, established by the Catholic Church to attend uh, to the spiritual needs of all active duty servicemen and women, their families, and anyone who is a patient in a Veterans Administration hospital, as well as uh, Catholics who might serve the United States overseas in a diplomatic mission uh, uh, for example. So it's a, what we call a personal archdiocese. Normally, uh, jurisdiction in the, in the Catholic Church is determined by where you live, okay. but in this case it's determined by who you are. So it, it's not geographic as most dioceses are. Right, it is not geographic at all. It, uh, so, for example, I would have subjects, uh, to use that term, I would have faithful here in Washington, but also um, in various places throughout, uh, throughout the world. Okay, and, and to reiterate and, and maybe get clarification, active duty military who are Catholics? Uh, yes. Anybody, uh, any soldier who's in a hospital, Catholic or non? Would that be well, uh, there again, it would be Catholic soldiers, uh, or not Catholics, but, uh, and, I mean, not soldiers, but any Catholic who's uh, in a Veterans Administration hospital, because obviously retired military also use those hospitals. Okay. And then uh, anybody who's servicing, uh, who's, uh, servicing the United States overseas who's a Catholic? That's correct. Okay. That's, that's quite... Uh, 
a formidable constituency. It certainly is. We calculate that it's somewhere around 1.5 million people. Wow. And how how would that compare to a geographical diocese? Well, it makes us the ninth largest by population diocese in the United States. Okay. And the first being Los Angeles and then on down until number 9 is is the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Who's number 8 and 10? Pardon? Who's number 8 or and number 10? I don't know who number 8 or number 10 are. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to look at a uh, at a at a breakdown. Just I know the first 4 or 5, but I don't know. It's just Much uh, after that. Forgive me your excellency, it's my uh, competitive nature. So <laughs> <laughs> talking about that. Now, what kind of, uh, let's break those three categories down a little bit in terms of the types of services you would be able to provide for each of those three categories. So let's start with the, uh, with, with the soldiers. Through our chaplains, we have mass, we have uh, religious education, both for children and for adults, uh, confessions, the other sacraments, um, uh, marriage preparation, annulment processes. So almost anything that you could find in a regular diocese uh, would be offered basically through our chaplains uh, and through the chapel staffs to, uh, to the, uh, the men and women in, in uniform. And how many chaplains do you currently have serving? I have 300 active duty chaplains, and that number is supplemented by another six or 700 um, what we call uh, um, contract, or and then there are also reserve chaplains. Okay. So as many as, as a thousand chaplains in one, one way, shape, or form? Yes, that is correct. Okay, now, how many are, like, for example, serve in, uh, in harm's way, as in Iraq or other places? Well, um, I, I, the, the, I can't give you the exact, uh, exact figure, but uh, um, obviously um, most of the divisions in in Iraq especially of the army would would have uh, its Catholic chaplain okay. um, the Air Force bases also have them and um, and of course the Navy ships have them so um, there would be a uh, there would certainly be a you know a, a proportionate number there's there's obviously not enough but uh, but we do have a, uh, you know, we do offer pastoral attention to all of the uh, all of the services that are there. Is it difficult to recruit people to be chaplains? It is difficult, um, both because of the shortage of priests generally, and also because it is a it is a very challenging ministry, mm. both in terms of um, obviously. You are constantly moving, and also your people are constantly being transferred. So, um, even when you think about parish programs and so forth, um, it's not as if you could count on people for a long, long time. You have to take them as uh, as uh, as you can get them. 
Um, and so that also obliges uh, the chaplains to, uh, you know, to make their programs very, very concise and uh, try to respond as best they can to the needs. Um, there is uh, obviously, with the, as I said, with the shortage of vocations uh, nationally, then it is more difficult to ask a bishop to to sacrifice a priest for the military services. Although the bishops of the United States have been. Uh, by and large, very generous. That's wonderful. Uh, typically, do they come right out of seminary, or have they served in parishes and then volunteer? We would prefer that they have at least three years of, of parochial experience. Okay. Many, however, have much more than that, but three years would be, um, would be for us the, the norm, because obviously it is a specialized ministry, so it's good that you have at least some practical experience uh, of the normal parochial ministry in uh, in your curriculum vitae, as it were, so that uh, when you are called to the special ministry, you you have something to to draw upon and something to to compare it with. That's good. That's got to be a very 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 challenging part of your obligations to make sure there are enough chaplains and that they serve well. Indeed, it is probably the, the greatest challenge that I have because when I talk about the active duty chaplains, obviously that's the number that we that we must increase. Um, I said there are 300. Really, to do the job well, we would need 800. Oh, okay. Wow. So there's about a 500 priest gap there that uh, needs to be filled. In case you have just joined us, this is the Extraordinary Catholic. And we are talking with Most Reverend Timothy Borio, Archbishop of the United States Military Diocese. How do, how do you manage to serve um, the Catholics who are serving in the varying countries? How do you organize uh, that uh, if they're in service to the United States and in, in international? Um, they, if the, obviously, if there is uh, a military installation nearby, as is the case in some. Um, Western European countries and in both Korea and Japan, uh, they would be attended to by the um, by the uh, local um, by the military chaplains. The others uh, for religious services and so forth would be dependent on the on the local church. Um, however, if uh, any sort of permission or um, dispensation that they might need, then uh, that would come through this, uh, this archdiocese so that, so that they're not left without, uh, without a proper pastor. Okay. Uh, let me give you a concrete example. Let's say that um, an individual who is a diplomat uh, for the United States in Guatemala um, has been selected for a papal honor or or wants to become a member of the uh, the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. Well, the the nihil obstat, that is, that nothing is in the way of this appointment. That would come from from me. Okay. Okay. So that would keep it going. All right. Well, I guess my impression. Um, thank you. You've helped me understand a lot, and hopefully our listeners. And uh, my impression is you have quite a task, and administratively that must be uh, quite challenging. I would say. Indeed it is, especially just given the geographical limitations of, uh, of uh, or 
let me say the geographical extensions of uh, <laughs> of the of the archdiocese. It's uh, maybe like an octopus, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, your Excellency, I'd like to talk a little bit about your background, or maybe a lot about your personal vocation and your personal story. Uh, you went to high school in Cleveland, Cleveland Heights. Yes. What, what was the? You went to a Catholic high school, correct? I went to a Catholic high school run by the Jesuit fathers. Uh, it's called Saint Ignatius High School. Okay. And uh, when did you uh, sense that you had a vocation to the priesthood? Really, as I was finishing uh, elementary school, I was very much taken by uh, by the priests who worked in my parish, and particularly by the founding pastor who was a very old man at that point, but uh, uh, very much had left his indelible mark on that uh, on that parish. Hmm. Well, and I would say that um, those first vocational stirrings then matured while I was in high school, so that by the time I left high school, I was, I would say I was convinced that indeed the Lord was calling me to the diocesan priesthood, but I decided that I would spend uh, my college years at a at a Catholic university, but um, uh, but not in a seminary program. Okay. And I would enter the seminary when I had my college degree, which is exactly what uh, what I did. I thought that would be the best way to prepare for a future ministry uh, among uh, among the laity, because that's obviously where sure. Uh, a priest exercises his, his ministry. As it turns out, of course, uh, the Lord had other plans as to how this ministry would be would be realized. But right. uh, at least that was my thinking at the time that I was responding to his call. It makes perfect sense to me, Your Excellency. Uh, and uh, I think sounds like, to, no, to my way of thinking, that it's pretty far-sighted for a young man to think that through that way. Uh, what was the name? Who was the? What was the name of that older pastor of your parish? That uh, Father John Mary Powers. John Mary Powers. Okay. Yes. Those names are always important to remember. Yes, and he was a rather uh, interesting figure because he founded the parish in 1915 and remained pastor until he passed away on February 4th, 1966. So mm-hmm. he was pastor for 50 years. Um, it, I would just point out, I mean, this was obviously long before I was born, but to help raise money to build the parish, he sang with the Cleveland Orchestra. Oh, no kidding. Huh. And the two worked together, and the Cleveland Orchestra also recognizes its debt to him because uh, the two, both entities benefited from... Uh, from this collaboration, both uh, St. Anne Parish and the Cleveland Orchestra. That's fantastic. That's a great story. In case you have just joined us, this is The Extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with Most Reverend Timothy Borio, Archbishop of the United States Military Diocese. Now, you, you majored in classical or languages at Boston College? Classical languages, Greek and Latin. Greek and Latin. And that was with an eye toward the priesthood? Yes, yes, very definitely. Okay. All right. Um, And then what seminary did you choose to go to? Um, Well, my diocese sent me to the North American College in Rome. Okay. Which is the national seminary uh, 
your, your studies are done at universities, but uh, the formation program is in the is at the North American College, which is very close to the Vatican uh, in Rome. Okay, and your diocese at the time was uh, the Diocese of Cleveland. Yes, that is correct. Okay, and then you were appointed pastor or an associate pastor in South Euclid. That's correct. Okay. Right after ordination, I was named an associate pastor in in South Euclid. How long did you uh, stay in that parish? Uh, unfortunately, only two years. You say it's a wonderful parish, but um, the, the program of studies uh, in Rome is such that your your last year uh, of the four of seminary preparation is beginning a new degree program, mm. and so in order to complete that de- second degree, um, I returned to Rome in 1979 after two years of ordained ministry. Okay. And then what was your first assignment after completing your studies in Rome? Well, at that point, of course, I was asked to um, prepare myself to uh, serve in what is generally called the Papal Diplomatic Corps. Okay. So after those four years, after obtaining my doctorate in in canon law, Mm -hmm. I was sent to serve in Abidjan in the Ivory Coast as the secretary of the nunciature there. And what what was memorable about that service? Well, probably the most memorable thing, other than than the contact with with the people and uh, the experience, and we were also credited to two other African countries, Burkina Faso and Niger. Mm. So there were three very different realities. So that was quite a an eye opener. Mm. Uh, but of course, the most memorable moment of that time was in 1985 when uh, the Servant of God, His Holiness Pope John Paul II, came and dedicated the cathedral mm. of Abidjan, dedicated to St. Paul. That was obviously a, a memorable moment. Sure. And, and then, as it turns out, you became a chief of cabinet for the secretary to Pope John Paul II? Well, to the Secretary of State, yes. Secretary of State, yes. Okay. And what, what time period did that, that encompass? Well, when I finished my tour in in Abidjan, I was transferred to Asuncion in Paraguay, mm-hmm. again to the nunciature. And then in 1990, I was called back to Rome to work in the section for relations with states. And at the end of 1990, then, uh, then Archbishop Sodano, later Cardinal Sodano, was made Secretary of State and uh, he asked me to uh, serve with him as, as his chief of staff. Okay. And, and how long was that assignment? That was, I was with him for 11 years, approximately. That's significant. Many uh, of our listeners might not fully understand the role of a papal nuncio. Can you give us a brief description of that role? Well, a papal nuncio is... In, in the first instance, he is an ambassador. So he's the representative of the Holy See, which is the entity that has diplomatic relations with 177 countries throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So he does everything that an ambassador does. He informs um, the Holy See about the religious, economic, political, and social situation in the country. 
but his primary responsibility is as a catalyst for communion between the local church in a country and the Holy See. Paul VI, uh, who was a papal diplomat, described it very well when he said, it is as if the nuncio living in a country, participating in the life of the church in that country, it is as if the Holy Father himself were present and participating in the life of the church of that country. So, obviously, the nuncio then becomes a means of communication between the host country and uh, and the Holy See, and the church in the host country and the Holy See, and vice versa. Interesting. That's, um, and that is beautifully put by uh, Pope uh, Paul VI. Um, and you were named, uh, and you were named then nuncio to the Dominican Republican Republican Apostolic Delegate to Puerto Rico. Yes, that is correct. And ordained uh, as an Archbishop by Pope John Paul II. Yes. You live this every day, Your Excellency. But for many of our listeners, myself included, who don't really understand the dip, or have not, I have not understood the dip, the role of the uh, papal diplomatic corps. Uh, this has been a, a good eye or a good window to this, and I appreciate you doing that. Today, I guess, with the controversies in the war and the uh, and the great secularization of our society, there are some controversial issues, even with the chaplaincy, are there not? Yeah, yes, there are. Could you describe uh, the limitations that have put a, been put upon uh, chaplains in terms of being able to act fully as chaplains um, where they're limited in terms of how they could um, administer the faith? Well, I would say that our chaplains, in terms of uh, their practice and and their responsibilities, their pastoral responsibilities for those of their faith, are, are very free. Um, we uh, have agreements with, with all of the armed services that... Uh, make sure that no restrictions are placed on the exercise of religion, which, of course, is a constitutional right, and the armed services recognize that the free exercise of religion um, is respected. Um, where restrictions might come in is is that, obviously, um, a chaplain is always... Uh, uh, at least a, an active duty chaplain is always a member of the armed services and therefore, of course, is subject to his military superiors. Mm-hmm. And occasionally he might be asked to uh, assume certain um, more general roles, uh, for instance, uh, saying a prayer before uh, uh, a meal or in, in some sort of a... In, an assembly, and there obviously he has to respect the sensibilities of of all of the people who might be gathered there with him. But that's much the same as uh, if you function in an ecumenical setting. Obviously, you have to take into consideration the sensibilities of those uh, those around you, uh, of those who might not share the same faith that you have. And in general, um, now mind you, I've only been in my present responsibilities for approximately two and a half months. But I must say that in general, uh, I have been impressed by the uh, good relations that exist uh, 
uh, among the chaplains of various faiths and actually have been edified by the reception I've received even by some of the command chaplains who uh, were not Catholics. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, there's more collaboration than there is difficulty, but obviously the difficulties are not are not absent. Was there, was there a particular piece of legislation or court ruling that uh, sort of at least set parameters for how a chaplain might act? There was a, uh, a decision in terms of, uh, as I said, those uh, those assemblies that um, are uh, more general in terms of the participants, there is a, a great measure of respect that must be uh, that must be used there, and I believe that was an issue. It did not involve a Catholic chaplain, but uh, involved a chaplain of another of another Christian faith group. Right. I, 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 that was on my mind because I guess that was fairly recent. But yeah, yes, yes, it was. I think it perhaps in the last two years. But uh, I like the way you describe the fact that there are no limitations uh, within administering to Catholics and then when you're, you know, when you're acting in a more ecumenical role or a more universal role, then you have to be respectful. That's very well put, Your Excellency. Yes, yes. Uh, what about the whole controversy of, um, of the Iraq War? Uh, how does that affect you uh, and the morale of our soldiers and our chaplains who are serving is uh, how how does that play out? Well, obviously, one of the main difficulties is is that although we are a country at war, um, that is not an awareness which is always um, uppermost in the minds of people who are not immediately affected by this situation. And so consequently, um, some of those elements of support are not always uh, evident or apparent to those who are serving in harm's way. Um, obviously, on the chaplain's part, too, um, given that their numbers are insufficient, um, their deployment is, uh, is frequent. And this, of course, takes a tremendous uh, toll on on the individual priest, of course, obviously too with the um, uh, the loss of life and uh, the injuries. Those are all uh, effects that uh, that also those are all situations that also have their effect on uh, on the troops and everyone who works with the troops. Uh, so those are those are all considerations, and I think that it's it's safe to say that uh, no one wants to be at war. Um, that everyone, and I would say first and foremost, the men and women are in uniform would be uh, most anxious to see uh, the end of hostilities, whenever that may be, um, just simply because of the, of the danger and the hardship that uh, that all of this uh, involves. Right. Yeah. Please, please, God, that it, it ends and and life is restored to people. That's uh, your excellency. You just Thank you so much because um, you offered, I know this is part of your life regularly, but to many of our, our listeners, uh, your your role and the role of your people is different, unique, and it's not something that we see every day. And yes. by, by that I mean what you actually do to for those million and a half Catholics and, and the chaplains in your 
in your command and uh, also your impressive career through the diplomatic chairs. Uh, again, uh, many lay Catholics are not familiar with that. So I thank you so much both for being with us, but also more importantly for the work you do on behalf of our Lord and and our soldiers and the people that are under your command. And we will pray for you uh, always. And do you have a website that people could go to uh, to understand better if they have questions or want to donate? Yes, we do. It's uh, www.millarch.org. Okay. That's at www.millarch.org. Right. Okay. And that is our website, which is uh, uh, updated regularly, and there are also various links that can help people learn more about uh, the Archdiocese and also contribute to the Archdiocese's mission, because obviously uh, we're very dependent on the generosity of the faithful. We have no... um, obviously no support from from the government because it's of the separation of church and state so right. it's uh we we very much depend on the free free will offerings of those who are so inclined well we encourage everybody to go to the website to give as you are inclined and to pray for the archbishop and all the wonderful people that are serving our country god bless you archbishop and thank you so much for being with us Thank you very much, and God bless you, and God bless all of the listeners. Thank you for being with us for today's Extraordinary Catholic. We hope you have found the program inspirational and informative, and truly hope you can join us again. I am Joan Delicato.